Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your host, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Outcast Catholic, and welcome. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And we, ladies and gentlemen, might have something fixed and worked out for auto- audio recording from St. Louis all the way to Sioux City. Isn't that right, Father Shane? We'll see. We'll see. We've been out of this. I, I did have one listener who told me recently, she said, you guys keep talking about how your audio is screwed up, but I don't notice anything. So Good. hopefully no one's picking up on some of the tweaks that we've been doing as long as it keeps improving. That's right. Give us a break. If you get a weird little moment where Father Shane kind of cuts out and then comes back really fast, that happened one time while we were practicing. But I think, think we're good. We're good for now. We hope. We hope. Yes. Father Shane, I am, I am back from like a, like a week and a half worth of conferences and finally like sitting uh, at this desk here in my residence at the cathedral. And it's nice to be a little grounded. I watched you travel as vocation director in your tenure. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, yeah, okay, that's kind of nice traveling around all the time. Wow, it's a lot more travel than I expected. <laughs> Welcome to living out of a suitcase. Holy cow, you're not kidding. Yeah, that thing yeah. just stays open. I think and I should you just, just keep repacking it and yeah, repacking it. Yeah, I'm thinking it. at this point I should just like have a suitcase just that lives in my car with like a fr- like three clerical outfits, you know? Cuz like that just way ready that to would, go. just ready to go. That way I don't have to repack, just kind of keep two suitcases on a cycle. That's we'll right. We'll see. Yeah. Welcome to the grind. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. All for Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, rise and grind (laughs) in the vocation world. Um, As you know, Father Shane, I got to experience uh, my first NCDVD. Ooh, uh, the National Vocation. Oh, National Conference of Diocesan Vocation. Conference of Diocesan Vocation. You've been out of it for so long that you. I don't know that I ever learned (laughs) the acronyms full states. You know, meaning very accurately. So, for for our folks out there in listener land. The National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, there's a conference that all the vocation directors in the country or those who are members of this conference are a part of. Uh, Rosemary Sullivan is the executive uh, director, and she whips the vocation directors into shape at this convention. Um, and it was wonderful. So we were in Baltimore. It was my first time being in Baltimore. Have you been to Baltimore, Father Shane? No. Oh, it was really? Baltimore. Never no. been. So no, we were supposed to have it there uh, last well, with I think one COVID or two years or in a row with COVID, but it yeah. kept getting pushed back. Yeah, so um, it was neat. The hotel was right across from the Orioles Stadium, and there was a a deck that kind of looked out into the stadium. So we got to go to a, a game one night, which was fun. Uh, I got a random Orioles soccer jersey <laughs> they gave him out for free at the gate. You know, mm. MLB teams do that all the time. But I got a like a Polish sausage with crab dip on top and Old Bay seasoning, very kind of like Baltimore with the harbor nice. right there. That was fun. Um, Baltimore though. Cool history, kind of sketchy city, like a couple blocks off that main drag. It, it's pretty rough. Um, but the, I think the coolest thing was the uh, the cathedral basilica, the, rather the old cathedral, the Basilica of Baltimore, is the first, was rather the first cathedral in the U.S. Um, so that was yeah, exciting to go there. Yeah, um, our, our first bishop, Bishop John Carroll, uh, the first bishop of the U.S., was is buried in the crypt, um, and it is a gorgeous neoclassic church neoclassical church it was recently restored back to its original kind of um pristine condition and we were told by um bishop archbishop is baltimore an archdiocese archbishop laurie archbishop laurie he was preaching and he said that 
Thomas Jefferson had a vested interest in the dome of the cathedral. He was a big like neoclassical dome guy, and he especially was impressed by there's these um, these skylights that you can't see that just kind of fill the dome with light, and then there's a Holy Spirit that's kind of like like a relief in the top of the dome. So that was kind of neat to realize that Thomas Jefferson was the guy. He's right there. Um, and then it was neat at the Orioles game when we had the uh, national anthem being sung, as it always is. Somebody realized, it pointed out to me the national anthem was written like right down the street. Um, really? At Fort, Fort McHenry. Yeah, in Baltimore. Really? So okay. What a lovely historical experience uh, in Baltimore. But it was good. good. I'm glad you, I'm I'm glad you had like your first NCDV experience. Yeah. And hopefully you came home with a lot of good, you know, fresh ideas and some zeal to yes. uh, rejuvenate the uh, vocations of it. That's... <laughs> That had grown old and old stale. Old stale, you know, by this, that old vocation director, whoever he That's was. That's right. Yeah, yeah some absolutely. Do. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Absolutely. Sorry, Father Taylor. He's uh, Father Taylor's in Rome on a pilgrimage right now, so he probably won't hear this. Um, so whenever you do... He'll get caught we're up. We're sorry that we said absolutely so much. On his uh, treadmill exercises, he'll get caught absolutely. up. Absolutely. <laughs> As they do. Um, you know, Father Shane, speaking of... Um, old vocation directors, old um, vice rectors of certain seminaries in, I don't know, Missouri. Um, I have been thinking a lot, really, the last two years of my priesthood, but especially recently on a recent um, teen retreat that we put on, um, one of the retreatants made a comment about the generational divide between her as a high school student and her parents. And I think you and I have experienced that in the priesthood. Um, we experienced that at NCDVD in a big way. Um, the NCDVD is a, there are a lot of young vocation directors. The right. first three days, as you know, is the boot camp for the brand new guys. Right. And out of the 30 of us, there was a number of guys. I thought I was going to be kind of the youngest in ordination. And there was a couple guys who were right around my same age. Um, guy mm. from LA guy from Kansas city. There's a few guys around who are around the same, only been ordained a few years. Um, so just the youthfulness of kind of, yeah, this vocations work, the youthfulness of high school chaplaincy, the youthfulness in different dioceses of these small groups of young priests, but then large groups of older priests from different generations. I know that we've had conversations before. There's, there is, you know, just a generational kind of gap that's present in the church. Um, you, you see this on college campuses, a number of um, older folks, and then a kind of a, a gap there where there's not a lot of folks from kind of generation X who are priests. Um, who are or maybe present in parishes, but then there is kind of the growing group of young people being formed in Newman centers and seminaries. But what was interesting from that comment that this girl made was that she said, "Listen, I you know I come from this conservative Christian household, but the culture around me is is very different." She said, "It's difficult for me to even know what my morals are to follow when I have kind of conflicting formation coming from different sides." Um, and I thought that was just important. I thought that'd be something important to talk about because I feel that in the life of the church and in the life of our, our culture right now, that generational divide can be um, a source of feeling outcast, feeling outcast from the church, whether you're on either side of this generational divide, feeling outcast from the older generation or the older generation feeling outcast from the younger generation because we've grown up in different cultures. So help me understand when she says she's feeling conflicted because what her formation from the outside culture is is perhaps different than what her her parents are giving her. Is that the divide? That's exactly right. It's kind of this okay. re- reality where okay, I've been sent to a Catholic school. My parents have raised me more or less in a in a in a Christian or a Catholic home with kind of like a um, you know 
more of an osmosis formation probably and just kind of conservative Midwest values, perhaps kind of politically conservative as well. But then as, as, these, as these kids are growing up, right, they've got, they've got TikTok, they're watching all the same stuff, and they're kind of imbued by a secular culture uh, that's pushing much more, you know, uh, progressive, progressively against kind of maybe these conservative values, as she said, um, from, her, from her own formation. And she's feeling the tension. I, I don't think she was kind of resolved and like, I believe this. It's really that question of, well, what do I believe? I've got these different tensions that are kind of pulling me both directions. And I think she's finding herself kind of outcast in the midst of that, of what do I believe? Like what most of the culture is kind of trying to teach me, or my parents have tried to form me in and their parents have tried to form me in. And what she kind of pointed at was what's difficult is that she feels so much more connected to the kind of current culture than her parents do. And she's saying, listen, I grew up with the internet. I've grown up in this time. My parents are closer in kind of a cultural reality to their grandparents or to their parents and grandparents than she feels like they are to her. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, certainly I think the generation divides are perhaps getting more pronounced, especially as technology is dividing us. Um, when parents can't even figure out how to, to like run the devices that, that all their kids are on, it's hard to monitor with accountability what their children are up to online. Sure. Um, at the same time, though, I think there's always been kind of this divide. I mean, did this new movie come out about Elvis over the summer? Mm. And you can kind of tell from the from the trailer of it that some of these you know elderly parents and grandparents were clearly bothered by what they saw Elvis doing on stage. While sure. their younger daughters were just like, you know, fainting over themselves because they wanted to get close to him. And I, you could probably go back even, you know, deeper into history. There was probably some young people who were calling for reform at the time of the French Revolution. And maybe their parents and grandparents were like, no, 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 no. We got to hold on to the to the monarchy and the aristocracy of the past and whatnot. So there's probably always been cultural divides where younger generations think that they've got the keen insights and the fresh approaches. Um. But I can I can particularly appreciate you know the the strain that this young woman was is living under now, because the Christian culture ar- around us that is basically no more right. We keep saying this over and over that Christendom is over. Right. So the the formation that she gets about Christianity comes in her house. It might come at Sunday mass. You know, if she's going through, right, which if so, she's going, so many kids aren't. Yeah. Maybe there's some discussions between her and her friends about uh, religious topics. And then that might be about it. Yeah. You know, 95% of her formation might be become, might come to her from a voice that really doesn't have a, a religious sensibility. Yeah. Right? So having lost kind of that, that, uh, that cultural surrounding, that, that upbringing that kind of imbues Christianity traditionally in so many different ways, if that's no longer surrounding her... I'm sure it exacerbates how she might view her parents mm-hmm. or, or other religious uh, generations that might seem even more distant to her or perhaps even out of touch. Yeah, that's exactly right. I know from my own family members who've, who felt and still feel particularly outcast from the faith, from their Catholic upbringing, they'll make comments sometimes like, well, I was taught this, and it's kind of a misunderstanding of what the church actually teaches. And what I've often realized and responded with is, I don't actually think you were taught that. I think that's just kind of what you've picked up or kind of pieced together from the lack of teaching that you received, right? Maybe the lack of catechesis, the lack of evangelization that you've received. So that's exactly right, that if her and her, her parents were having these like 
really thorough conversations about these things, I think they'd be so much more fruitful. I don't think that happens very often. And I don't think the conversations are probably happening at home. I think what's probably mm-hmm. happening is there's this kind of osmosis kind of reception of different kind of values, whether Catholic or whether politically conservative or whatever, that have kind of been passed on, have been slowly kind of maybe watered down or kind of diminished, chipped away at. And maybe it's just this recognition of, wait, the culture is proposing something differently than I think my parents are, are, are giving me. Or my parents are reacting to the culture than I, than I am, than my friends are, and I just don't know how to integrate those two, Right. Yeah, what comes to mind is, you know, Father Jim Mason, the former rector here, he constantly used to say at Kenrick Seminary to the students, live in the tension, Yeah, right? He wanted students to live in the tension of maybe not feeling like all of their formation was completely worked out, or they were they were living in the tension of, of this spiritual goal versus what the culture was telling them or whatever. Um, and, and you can apply that in seminary formation on a number of different levels. And to this young woman that you're speaking about, I would encourage her to live in that tension right? rather than to simply just dismiss everything that your parents are te- telling you or on the other extreme, dismiss everything that the culture might be telling you to live in that tension and, and to actually want to do a, a, some, you know, deep discernment, a deep examination. What is actually true? What is beautiful? What is good here? What is going to be long lasting? How many people start to realize as they get older into their 20s, 30s, 40s, they're like, oh, maybe mom and dad actually knew something. Yeah. Because I remember them talking about this and it actually comes to pass that way. Mm-hmm. Or I, I remember that the older I get, I'm starting to do things exactly like my parents did them now. Maybe there was some fruitfulness in their example, right? Yeah. And, and, and you don't see that unless you live in the tension. Uh, but if you just completely dismiss the voice of another generation, dis- dismiss the, the tradition of the past, or you know, dismiss a, another cultural element around you, well, then the tension is gone. You, you've just kind of gone to entrench yourself in one camp, and you're missing kind of that discernment of what, what's actually speaking here that might be long-lasting and of value to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's so wise. And I feel like right now then in the church, you know, kind of moving like odd extra from this experience with people who are feeling outcast from the church, um, people who are feeling outcast from the church, uh, they, yeah, this is what I was thinking. <laughs> we'll just let you know how the sausage is being made right now. Father Shane, you don't know what time it is because you didn't set a timer because we used to just sit in front of this. Father Shane, right now we're at 14 minutes. Uh, Thank you. Sorry to make seconds. you lose your train of No problem. I was like, I can't just come back with this. But here's, here's the deal. Here's that living in the tension needs to happen with young people. And it's easy to point fingers at that. I just got to say it because I know I'm living in the same tension in the presbyterate. But my friends in the church, like young friends who are in the church who are listening to this, we got to live in the tension too. And I know that it can sound like a cop-out, right? When it's like, no, I know that I'm right or I think I'm right about the liturgy or I think I'm right about catechesis or I think I'm right about these things, right? We can point our fingers and wag our fingers at different generations of how they experience liturgical worship, how they experience scriptural teaching, how they experience these things. But I, that it, we need to live in the same tension. Um, and I wanted to bring up this really helpful comment that was made um, by one of the priests of our diocese a number of years ago, um, Father Paul Kelly, who I lived with in, in Denison in our diocese for a summer. We were having this conversation of the tension between older and younger, younger clergy and the tension that can come with the kind of yeah, hot-headedness of a young guy who thinks he knows too much, right? 
met with perhaps an insecurity or an uncomfortability of an of an older priest who sees a young guy coming in and if he sees some kind of movement toward change right it might be something that's going backwards in time he might see liturgical style as going back to like his first pastor back in the 60s or 70s or something like that and what what father said that was so helpful he's like no like you we don't need to live like that we don't need to live in fear on both sides of this he said we need to have this helpful understanding that young guys can bring um, a fresh a fresh approach because the culture is constantly changing right they can bring a fresh approach because they're coming out of the same culture that we're living in now it's like but we can bring the years of wisdom we can bring kind of something that tempers that excitement and that zeal with real lived pastoral experience and he said some kind of unification can come about in that and not feeling so outcast, but we can actually feed and say outcast because he didn't know the brand of our podcast would eventually be called outcast Catholic. But he did point to no unity is the fruit of living in that tension rather than like more isolation. And if we can realize and kind of like um, the give and take of this, of realizing that, okay, we both have something to give here and it's going to be uncomfortable to give up kind of different preferences or different ideas about ourselves or the others to work together, but that can actually bring about fruit in the church. Um, and I think that's so clear in a presbyterate, but it's clear in parishes. It's clear in schools. It's clear in ministry, right? Um, but I think this can be such um, a place of feeling outcast when we just kind of dig down our own trenches, right? And there's this no man's land in between. And we're saying, uh, no, I'm right. You're wrong you're right, I'm wrong, right? But back and forth, both sides. Um, and we can both feel very outcast unto one another. Um, but it seems like yeah. this comment that Father, that Father Mason said of living in the tension, that's not a solution, but that's the first step in this, in this experience that we're finding ourselves in. Yeah, I think that is the first step. And then within that tension, you start to discern very carefully, you know, what has borne fruit, and what is actually speaking as good. And to our young people who might be listening to this, um, that's also a challenge to kind of, you know, look around this this culture that is, you know, impacting you, informing you on TikTok and say, is this really good? Is this really healthy? Is this of God? Um, even if my parents don't know everything that I'm I'm watching on TikTok, even if my parents don't know all the lyrics that I'm kind of downloading into my to my brain, is this actually leading me closer to the Lord? Is this leading me towards the greatest sense of happiness and holiness and fulfillment and satisfaction? Um, because we, we, it's not quite fair to say live in the tension if you also can recognize that uh, maybe some of the cultural elements that you're uh, you know drinking deeply from are actually really unhealthy. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, you. It's not fair to say go live in the tension next to drug dealers and you know other addictions or whatever. You know, that's. That's not necessarily the tension that we're advocating here. Mm -hmm. uh, a tension of, of healthy, holy people with perhaps different priorities, different viewpoints, different vantage points with that come with time and age. That's kind of the tension that we're referring to that can get expressed in a number of different ways in the life of the church. Uh, but particularly for young people to, to really discern, are all these voices that are coming at me and the ways that I'm being culturally formed, is this healthy and holy? Is this of God? Yeah. Or is it just of me? Is it of the world? Is it of the evil one? Um, that's not necessarily the tension we're advocating here. Yeah, you'll know a tree by its fruit. So it's that question of discernment. 
of not just, okay, I'm wholesale adopting the culture that I'm being brought up in as it rapidly progresses and becomes more and more secular and tries to like really depart like intentionally from this Christendom that was present before, right? This kind of cultural Christianity that we're still experiencing in parts of the Midwest where we live. Really discern, okay, are there fruits being born here? Is it producing the fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or is it producing bad fruit, right? But then for an older generation, ask the same thing. Just because we've held on to beliefs, held on to practices for so long, are those bearing fruit? And is that where the Lord's leading us, right? And it moves it away from like, well, what do I think is the best for me? And what is, what is the Lord doing? I offered a little challenge to that to that student to say, well, maybe you don't have it all figured out, right? Like maybe your parents do have something figured out. Maybe they might not be as in touch with the kind of progressively moving culture, but maybe they are in touch with some deeper realities that you're just not aware of yet because you're so young. Um, That's going to take a lot of humility on the young person's part, a lot of humility, probably a lot more, but then kind of the freedom on the, on the older persons, the parents of the older generations experience to say, you know, maybe I do need to reconsider how I'm living my life, how I'm doing things. Because that process of continual discernment, of living continual uh, tension, that's a process of continual conversion, right? That all generations are called to. And if we can all lean into it together, then we're being unified in our like desire for conversion uh, rather than just kind of <laughs> digging our heels down and then kind of fighting in the midst of it. And that humility, I think, could also come on the part of the parents as well to say maybe with some vulnerability, which actually involves quite a bit of bravery, Maybe with some vulnerability, I'm going to go in and I'm going to share with my teenage son or daughter or my young adult son or daughter some of the same traps that I fell into when I was that age and how that same thinking, that same maybe idea for a fresh take or out with the old and in with the new, how did that impact my life when I was that age? And actually, you know, kind of give witness to that to say, I know exactly what you're going through and this is how I kind of work through that and this is the experience and I, and I felt your tension that, that actually takes quite a bit of bravery to enter into that vulnerability before a child or a young person in your family, parish, youth group, whatever it is. And to be able to speak into that, uh, I think, you know, tells them that, oh, they've actually walked in my shoes and they're not just lecturing me right now. Yeah, right. Well, thanks for those thoughts, Father Shane. I think that's helpful that as we move away from this kind of isolation, moving away from feeling outcast, leaning into that tension, which is difficult between this generational divide can really bear some fruit. So, Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for tuning in to an excellent episode of Outcast Catholic. Come back next time. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.